Greetings, dear listeners. Before we get started, a reminder to head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and consider becoming a paying subscriber if you're not one yet. You'll get access to, among other things, the full conversation, as well as other subscriber-only benefits. And don't forget to give us a like and review on your favorite podcast app. With all that out of the way, on to the show. punk heroes that's right close to the oh, mic speak, speaking speaking of punk um uh i, I was uh we we're in, like on an email chain uh and and uh i you know shoddy you you like this but it's, this is just like one of these old jokes uh that like me and my friends in baltimore had for a really long time so that if we we're going to start a punk rock band uh it would be called the hl mentioned m-e-n <laughs> S-C-H, like Mensch, the plural of Mensch, the H-L Mention. It would be a Baltimore band. And, and the, the, first, the first album would be called Don't Mention It. Again, spelled M-E-N-S-C-H, Mention It. It's That's a good pretty joke. good, right? Wait, is Shadi into H-L Mencken? No, is but it? Baltimore. It's a good Baltimore punk rock band because H-L mm-hmm. Mencken was there. Anyway, mm-hmm. someone in the email chain mentioned the word Mensch and Mention. Who, just for our um, dear listeners and readers, who's HL Mention? There's no one HL Mention. There's HL Mencken. <laughs> he was a <laughs> HL Mention is a, is a famous is a famous not yet made punk rock band in Baltimore. Uh, HL Mencken, famous journalist, uh, um, you know, covered the Scopes Monkey trial very famously, uh, and uh, wrote that one sentence. Uh, that I like quoting very much, which is democracy <laughs> is when the people get what they want and get it good and hard. Oh, so, I love that. <laughs> he really, yeah. he really didn't like democracy. That, no, uh, well, okay, he didn't that, love the people. Ta- he didn't love the people. I think yeah, is the main thing about. Okay, but I take that as a compliment for democracy. What you just said that yes. actually sounds quite appealing. Yeah, yeah. That's you the should, irony. You should of it. quote it unironically as an epigraph to your next book, Shadi. No, that's not a bad idea. You know, wait, was he also the person who said consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds? I don't know. I mean, I he know. did have lots of good he, things. That one may predate him. He I'm had a, a lot of zingers. It. He had zingers. He was a man of zingers. Well, we have something exciting to share with all of you. Yeah, we do. You share might it, hear Shady. a third person here that you've probably never heard before. And we're actually thrilled to announce that we have a new executive editor, and he is with us right now, Santiago Ramos. Woo! Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Very happy, very excited. Yeah, he's a philosopher, which is a good sign. You need more philosophers. I mean, I I taught philosophy. But your yeah. PhD is in philosophy, yes. right? Yes, yes. You have yeah. a PhD in philosophy. That's like yeah. more. That's than, all that matters. It's more than I'm, like Mel Brooks' character in History of the World Part One, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and uh, he wrote a great opening essay for us, which um, many of you will have in your inboxes. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. It has a great title, and it's a good way to welcome him, and it's a good way for him to share some of his first principles and how he looks at the world. The title is Empathy for the Devil. Good title. Since Which we're is talking a riff. about music stuff, it's a riff. Yeah. It's another good music reference. Yeah. It's a riff on a song that has riffs exactly. called Sympathy yeah. for the Devil yeah. by the Rolling Stones, which is actually an incredible song. Yes. For those of you who don't know, we'll include a link to the, like, I don't know if there's, like, a YouTube video oh with, my like, God. Mick Jagger, like... <sighs> The, the yeah. fact that you said that for you, those of you who do, don't know, but it's true. I mean, it's like, you know, it's there are people who don't know uh, that it's song. It's actually anyway. a very dark song. It's actually, I think, one of the darkest, perhaps the first truly dark song in that Mick Jagger, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones, is actually speaking in the voice of the devil right. and is narrating a series of events that happened f- from millennia ago. Uh, and it's pretty much like he 
like he killed um he killed jfk that's not that long ago but he probably <laughs> did something to jesus he betrayed jesus so i think right. he's so it's just it's it's incredible to think that you could have had a you could have had a band in the late 60s actually going there but they did and it's just a remarkable piece of work sometimes i think it could actually be one of the best songs of modern rock but that's a digression mm -hmm. no i agree it's a it's a great song it's one of my favorite bands because um, because what he's doing in that basically is he's trying to understand the devil's point of view and mm -hmm. that is actually a good test for one's own ability to empathize if you will like are we actually capable of understanding the devil on his own terms just mm -hmm. to, to to add i mean you know it's it is based on a book right the song it's, it's based, based on, on a great russian novel great russian novel which is not really about sympathy for the devil so i mean that's you know maybe maybe that's mick jagger's little little twist on it um yeah but it is it is there's a there's a devil who talks in that book um, so do, yeah well with that in mind do you want to say to what extent santi that we should be we should have sympathy for the devil or empathy for the devil and what does that even mean obviously mm -hmm. we're being somewhat metaphorical here yeah well my piece was called empathy for the for the devil as opposed yeah. to sympathy and i think we should have empathy for human beings uh, when we're trying to understand their motivations and why they do whatever they do. Um, I don't think we should have sympathy for the devil, per se. That's a theological conviction I have. But um, I think my piece, I, I titled it that as a provocation because part of the point that I'm making, and I've largely borrowed it from Robert Wright, who's a, uh, an author uh, in the non-zero, he's a a newsletter called Non-Zero, um, that he has this idea of um, of empathy that he calls cognitive empathy, which is not that you try to feel what another is feeling, which is a more common use of the word empathy. Um, like, I feel your pain. That's, that's kind of emotional empathy. But cognitive empathy is you try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else and try to understand where where their motivations come from and why they do the things that they do. And that sounds all well and good until you're like a foreign policy analyst trying to figure out why um, somebody like Vladimir Putin would choose to invade Ukraine or uh, why um, a people that are living under occupation um, would support certain terrorist acts. Uh, or why somebody would vote for a uh, a populist demagogue, if that's <clears throat> whoever that might be, we whoever that might be. So, are you calling Trump a terrorist? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who are we under occupation <clears throat> from, Shadi? Anyway, <laughs> but but so you you see the point that is that it's in order one one of the the things that I liked your podcast that I've ad admired your podcast before I started working for you guys is that you you do practice this kind of cognitive empathy. Um, none of you sympathize, obviously, with the invasion of Ukraine, but you're not afraid to um, try to understand the sort of geopolitical situation that led, that, that sort of incited, maybe, um, or provoked, or led to the decision of the invasion. Um, because it's important to know that stuff. It's important to get as real uh, as accurate a grasp of the geopolitical picture as possible um and i think um if we're too afraid to do that then uh we do if we if we reject the idea that you can do cognitive empathy when you analyze the situation um because it's morally wrong somehow to try to get into vladimir putin's head or to get into a terrorist's head then you are sort of keeping yourself from fully understanding the situation. You do so at your own peril. Um, so I think that that's basically the point that I was so, trying to make. So, I mean, um, I, I didn't check, uh, honestly, uh, why Robert Wright is doing this right now. I, presumably he thinks it doesn't happen anymore, largely because of polarization in the states. Is that the sort of big well, driver of, of why he's... I mean, I know, you know, I, I'm broadly familiar with what... what 
Bob does and has been doing for years, the kind of things that motivate him and his approach. I mean, he's a, a curious thinker and, you know, his, he started blogging heads years ago and, you know, that was a sort of a seminal also, I think, uh, pre-podcast sort of phenomenon, right? Mm. Um, but uh, why why now? Is is it because of that, that, that he's like that we're, we're lacking in that moment of sort of cognitive empathy? Because well, I, th- I yeah. think where he where he's coming from is that he um, is a foreign policy analyst that is very much against the sort of neoconservative consensus. He's against the blob, um, what what he calls the blob, which of which you you two are, are members, of course. Um, the foreign yes. policy DC set uh, that basically supports um, a very small range of policies and um, sometimes leads us to war, of which neoconservatism is one half and the other half would be sort of liberal uh, hawkishness or whatever you want to call it. So he's always backed into the position of, of trying to, ex- like having to say to explain is not to excuse. So for me to, for, for, for him to say, oh, well, NATO expansion was a bad idea. Um, that doesn't excuse, obviously, the invasion of Ukraine. Hmm. Um, for him to say, um, you know, uh, the Israeli policy in the West Bank is a bad idea. That's not to excuse any terrorist act, obviously. Right. So I think out of necessity, he sort of developed this, this idea. But, you know, I mean, the, the, the reason I'm asking um, is, uh, well, do you, did you ever, did both of you, either of you ever watch uh, Fog of War, uh, Errol Morris's documentary about uh, Robert McNamara? Oh, yeah, yeah. I did haven't. Did you see it? Sadly. Um, yeah. I'll check it out, Shadi. It, it is really good. But I mean, I, it's, the, it's what I thought of immediately, Santi, as I was reading your piece, uh, because that's one of McNamara's points, if you remember. Um, it's one of his, the point of departure of how he tries to do a lot of the self-criticism there. Because McNamara, you know, the best and the brightest, um, led the country to, you know, catastrophe and overcommitting to catastrophe in Vietnam. Um, and he knows it, and he's living with this with this legacy. So he, you know, part of the film is him trying to, uh, is I think legitimately him wrestling with demons, but it's also a self-serving sort of exercise of, you know, what have I learned? And he goes through at length talking about that, you know, cognitive empathy thing. Um, He talks about like, you have to really put yourself in the shoes. And, you know, he talks about how after many decades after the war, I think, uh, you know, he was at the World Bank, not even decades, but probably a decade or so. He was the president of the World Bank and he went to Vietnam and, you know, actually met people there and you know got a new appreciation it's like this is everything that we missed um and and um yeah you know what what struck me about that movie and McNamara sort of doing that cognitive empathy exercise and in your piece as well and presumably what Bob's doing with his exercise on this is that you know uh this exercise of doing cognitive empathy still doesn't get you um, anywhere to the question of where uh, the good and the right come from. And that's what's interesting about the title, right? About like uh, empathy for the devil that we were talking about. And you just, you know, said that it's not, you wouldn't necessarily use it more as a provocation and the devil, uh, you wouldn't necessarily empathize with him, but that gets at it, right? It's like the devil, like the, the incarnation of the bad, I mean, sort of unequivocally. Um, so I don't know. I, well, well, there is something to be, so we could actually, you know, take this a little bit more literally and try to think about the devil's actual perspective, um, before, before things went downhill with the angels and so forth. But I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. why did the devil refuse to bow down to Adam? Like, what was his thinking behind that? And that's where we can actually, so we can take the most evil entity that has ever existed, the person who, or the the, ent- the thing that represents evil as we know it, the devil, and we can actually interrogate that. And, and I, I guess from what I recall, he refused to bow down to Adam because 
he felt in a sense that he he had to be totally unequivocally loyal to God and God alone. And the fact that God was asking him to bow down to a mere mortal, a mere, a mere man of flesh was just something that he couldn't countenance. And that's what led to his decisive act of disobedience. That's just interesting um, to me that even with the devil, there was a kind of logic that led him to the to the abyss. And again, just in saying this and describing this story, one might say, wait, is Shadi actually suggesting that there was a legitimate reason to the devil's act of disobedience? And that gets us to what you call, Santi, in your piece, the explain-excuse fallacy, that in explaining something, people can listen to that and they can say, wait, is Shadi saying that the devil might have had a point? I mean, I would say, of course not. I mean, as a believer myself, um, I would hope that wouldn't be in question. But we can have a kind of descriptive analysis. We know, at least according to the Islamic account, I don't know how different the Christian or Jewish accounts are, but we 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 can describe what happened and we can describe why Satan did what he did while while not you know so it's it's challenging and even as i describe this now it becomes challenging um but of course if god is the ultimate then you you do whatever god tells you to do and um satan's explanation for why he wouldn't is absurd because if he only if he takes only god as his as his guide then if god tells you to do something that you don't like you do it you submit to god similar to even abraham when God asks him to sacrifice his own son, you know, you'll hear the new atheist saying, well, what kind of God would ask you to sacrifice your own son? And not to get into like another theological digression, but if you believe God is real, and if you believe he is our creator, and if he's the one who is actually talking to you, which no longer happens, but in the time of prophecy, God could could talk directly to prophets like Abraham, then yes, you do listen to God, and you submit to Him regardless. Mm -hmm. I, well, I mean, the, sorry, sorry, go ahead. So I, I mean, Santi, the, I guess what both of us sort of like getting at though is like is the source of evil. I mean, and and I mean, I think you you you. It's not the it's not it's not what your essay your essay deftly dodges that because it's, that's not what it's about. Right. But but I, same... I think the part of the point of my essay is that before before we make moral judgments, we have to uh, understand the situation, and you need cognitive empathy to understand the situation, and then after that, you can make an accurate moral judgment of the situation. Can you though? Um, and I, well, I mean, to 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 the extent that you can, you can do so after you have gathered information. Let's say, but I I do also say that um, a sort of gut reaction of disgust. Um, when you witness a war crime, of course, it's, it's a good and healthy thing. If you see uh, a massacre and you say, this is wrong, if that's your gut instinct, then that's good. That means you have a conscience. All I'm saying is that there is also a, different, a separate moment when you can perform this act of sort of suspending, if you will, the, the moral dimension and try to understand um, why, why what has occurred has occurred. And that includes empathizing in this cognitive way with, with, with somebody that perhaps is actually a criminal. And I think one of the ways that we do this is actually by telling stories. It's easier to do it when we're dealing with fictitious characters than in real life. So um, when, when all of us were young, remember that there was this thing called prestige TV and uh, there was a lot of anti-heroes on television, The Sopranos, Mad Men, um, Breaking Bad. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now there's this this debate as to whether those heroes were or whether those protagonists were anti-heroes or just plain evil. But I think that's sort of a, a distinction without a difference. It's those shows were interesting precisely because they got us into the head of of human beings as they um, gave in to the temptation to to do evil. Um, but we got to know it from the inside, and it's and it's a bit terrifying. But of course they okay. But, but of course they weren't evil. 
I mean, well, they're not evil in the way that the devil's evil, right? So, but, but it, just, it is interesting that doing, in a way, hmm. you know, you talked about the, the story of the devil and him saying no to God. We tell that story because there is a way that we do the same thing, which is the sin of pride, right? Um, when we are proud, that is that is a, that is the same offense that the devil commits, right? He he does not want to accept his place in the order of the cosmos, so he rebels. And when we we can do that analogously, um, but most of the time we're not dealing with absolute evil, right? And so most of the time our our, our analysis and our stories are going to be more ambivalent, more ambiguous. But also but, I think, yeah, the, the ambiguity to me is that good people are capable of committing evil acts and good people are capable of supporting evil things. Some might disagree with me on that. They would say once someone crosses the line and supports something that is quote-unquote evil, that that removes them from goodness. But I think here of my um, my relatives in Egypt and, you know, anyone who's from, I suppose, a third world country, at, you know, somewhere in the world probably has relatives that support evil things. That's just the way it is. You grow up with that, I guess. Um, you know, I sh oh, sorry, we don't call them third world anymore. Develop oh, developing, developing countries. Oh. Global South. Global South. I, I actually used the, the phrase global south with my cousin in South America yesterday, and he's like, what does that mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's let's not get into that. That'll it's like the geopolitical me. version of Latinx, basically. Yeah. Latin with an X at the end. Exactly. So, yeah. That's what I yeah. am. Let's not, let's, not, let's not get in there. It'll, it'll derail me for at least 30 minutes to <laughs> go on. <laughs> okay, but look, I mean... So Egypt, wait, your, your family in Egypt? Oh, yeah, right. So, you know... Uh, Long-time listeners will know about the massacre that happened on October uh, 14th, 2013, where about a 1,000 people were killed in uh, in broad daylight by the military and security services, the worst massacre in Egyptian history, to our knowledge, or the, certainly the worst single-day massacre. Are there other kinds? Um, but yeah, and many of my relatives were perfectly fine with that. They knew what happened. Some of them were even enthusiastic about it. As far as I know, I mean, they were good before they supported that, or they were good maybe two years before they supported that. Can someone go from being good to being evil that quickly? Or is there something to be said for contingency that historical circumstances can sometimes force people, or not force is not the right word, but we are products of our context. And in existential situations, in in contexts of civil war or civil conflict, where there are two opposing sides that hate each other, and they think they hate each other for legitimate reasons, they can end up they end up saying, "Well, look, in a zero sum conflict, if it's me or if it's them, I choose me and I choose my family. So be it. That's actually a kind of natural human impulse." And we see it throughout history. That's why war happens. That's why killings happen. Now, granted, they weren't involved in the killings themselves. So I think there's also a question of, like, to what... It, obviously, if you're in, involved in the killings, then we can have a conversation about whether you've removed yourself in some fundamental way from God's grace. But um, if you've supported something, you know, it's sort of like you know, you're like two degrees removed from a killing. And I think a lot of us, so people who support what Israel is doing in Gaza, and, you know, some of, you know, some of my best friends are support that. Does that, I mean, like, so you can, there's a lot of examples of this. And I guess my view is that everyone should be allowed like one terrible opinion or one to two terrible opinions that are Only? like genuine. Genuinely beyond the pale. Well, I mean, it's random. Why two? And and what's genuine? And and but this gets to the bigger question. What I was sort of trying to get at is is I don't know. So you know, I I I I, I got like a, a sense, Santi, that like one access we have to evil is that gut reaction, that revulsion. But even Shadi's account here complicates that a little bit because many people can view a massacre and not have that 
uh, that that gut sense of revulsion. So so where's evil in the world? Clearly, you I mean, believe there is such a thing. No, of course I do. So um, so unpack it a little bit for me. So I I, I think there's. I mean, first of all, I, I, I think it's a mystery, first and foremost. And I think that's what, uh, by the way, the Rolling Stones song gets at, that it's it's a sort of telling of, of, of history. They talk about World War II, and they talk about the killing Kennedy and all this stuff. And the devil is present in each of those horrible events. But also there's a sort of human agency at work in all of them. It's like, who killed the Kennedys? It was you and me, right? Um, which I think is a very smart, smart take, because... On the one hand, there's this idea of evil as a, like Hannah Arendt, the banality of evil, that um, when there's destructive forces at work um, and that are very sort of persuasive and uh, coercive, human beings just sort of slouch into becoming agents of evil. They become bureaucrats for evil. Um, and you can argue that, you know, if, if you're passively saying, well, that massacre was fine, that's what's happening, um, to speak to Shadi's shoddy's uh, story of course but, the, the the funny thing of the the singling out the kennedys though right it's because this is you know a song of the hippies and that whole generation who couldn't imagine anything more evil than the the god-given kennedys like being taken from us now i'm not saying like i'm celebrating the killing of an american president i certainly am not but again this concept that that like this was oh my god this is the evil of our time is absurd at this point. It's absurd because, you know, there was a cult around these people. That cult still persists among a generation that's older than me that, that still see the 60s as a unique moment of, you know, again, some sort of triumph, some sort of moral triumph, which I, I think doesn't really bear up under any scrutiny. And so it's funny, like even even there in that clever, I think it is, you're right. It's a very clever turn. It was you and me. But like kill the Kennedys, that's not fucking evil. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like so so again, there's a contingency there to use Shadi's language that I think is is persistent. Like, even where's the judgment of evil come from? Uh among us mortals. Um and okay, that's so, again. So there's yeah. that, but then then there's this other side of me that thinks um that evil is not just banal, it's not just people sort of um going with the flow and accepting atrocities uh, or overestimating or underestimating the importance of certain actions. There, there's sometimes when you really see something that's that you have to say, this is on the order of, I don't know, th this is its own thing. This is, this is what we call evil. Such as? Um, the French Revolution, for example. Yeah, the sort of perverse... Uh, digging up of the bones of the ancient kings of France and cutting people's heads off. I think that's... Well, I mean, but I, 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 evil. I, I, I think torture, like, like, you know, to speak to my country, like, tor torture was uh, a method for um, for ruling. Santi, you know. for just for listeners, you're from where? I'm from Paraguay, South America. Right. I, I'm, American. I'm American but aren't now. aren't you American? I was born in Paraguay, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, an American citizen. Yeah, so it's interesting that you said my country to refer... They're, they're oh, Shadi's taking notes. Are you Egyptian or American, Shadi? I would never... I, I don't re refer to Egypt as my country. But you were born not. here. I mean, I, I, I'm like Santi. I'm, I'm naturalized. So that's more common. Don't, don't take notes for Trump, Shadi. Taking notes of like un, 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 <laughs> disloyal, <laughs> naturalized Americans. Okay, but Demir, would you ever say Croatia is your? I don't. I've, think I've, I've slipped heard. up like that, and maybe even on the podcast, like it happens. It totally happens because, yeah, like I mean, I mean, I've even talked about it on the podcast in the sense that for for the longest time on green card, I, I felt like my, like this beautiful. I didn't belong to either country, so when I was in Croatia, I was American. When I was in America, I was Croatian. So absolutely, like anyway. But that's that's an aside. But after you, yeah, you, you have a mother and you, you have stop. a father. My, yeah. my mother's Paraguay. My father's the United States. Good. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, finish your thought uh, about torture um, in Paraguay. Yeah, there's a there's a point where like torture just isn't something you need to enforce the law and to keep power if you're a tyrant, is it? I mean, some people would. At certain points, it becomes though. an I mean, indulgence. Even that's and, contingent. I mean. I mean, that's why I brought up the French Revolution. I think it's it, it is maybe so. It's such an interesting case um, but what about the ticking time bomb scenario like someone could argue that sometimes tor if torture if the torture of one life here. can save <laughs> thousands of lives in turn can it be justified 
Um, I, I think that I think uh, I'm with uh, Elizabeth Anscombe that um, it's perverse to even try to imagine a situation where you need to do evil in order for good to happen, and that it probably won't happen. And she got Why very angry. But can you like lay that out in more detail? Why is that perverse? Okay, so let's 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 get a few things straight. So first of all, my article had nothing to do with this. <laughs> no, but this is a conversation. No, just build it no, 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 it's on. fine. Which is fine. People can read fine. your article. I'm roll. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm. This is a podcast, isn't it? Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Um. So my my article was just about hey, we need to su- we need to suspend our moral side when we're looking at like the invasion of Ukraine sure. in order to understand the motivations of the other side just yep. to get a clearer picture of what's going on totally. because if if all we're saying is like we're the good guys and they're the bad guys even though that's true to a certain extent is it it, it doesn't get us anywhere <laughs> all right no but is it i mean i just keep coming back to that question that's why i'm okay. pushing you this whole so time so now what we're doing is you're 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 talking about the opposite you're asking me where do you actually believe in evil maybe all we can do is empathize because exactly. we can't actually make Precisely. judgments we can't say it was wrong for putin to well, you, you can make judgments. Buka. You're free to judge. You're free to judge. I'm just saying. It's, it's. I don't love the Putin. Okay, I just want to say for a second, I don't love the Putin example because very few people that we know actually think there's any goodness or any real justification to what Putin did. If you live in D.C. or in the U.S., it's very hard to actually find real life um, Putin apologists or sympathizers. I think the more interesting case is actually Hamas. Because you, there are actually a lot of people in the world who um, who f- find, who might say that Hamas's acts were justified or excusable. Um, that's like a real thing that you have to contend with. You don't have to just imagine it. And you're against it, for the record, that viewpoint. Well, well I, of course, I shouldn't. I shouldn't even have to say that okay. because it should go without saying that I'm Good. against terrorism. Yeah, and- and when when and that's when why are, I don't feel I, I as a Muslim like my policy <clears throat> is not to condemn terrorist acts because no one should suspect me of thinking otherwise. If you think that a Muslim, so that's just my general policy. I'm not against terrorism though. Like that's <laughs> again, it like it comes down to this. I mean, it really comes down. Come to on, this. Jimmy. I think you're against terrorism. I mean, I but I I make that judgment from like from where I sit, not from some sort of absolute thing. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, like, come on, political violence is not out of bounds. Violence is not out of bounds. Like if you just rule that out of bounds. What, what, just, do, you, what do you mean by out of bounds, Demir? Well, in the sense that like Shadi's like, it should it should go without saying that when the T word is brought up that I'm against it. I mean, pff, I don't but know. But like we've out su- of bounds support, is a metaphor. You're saying supported, that nothing is ever wrong. I'm, I'm sort of saying that, or at least I'm pushing you to tell me where where you feel like the second half of the argument comes from, where where the right comes from, because because ultimately, you know, uh, we have supported freedom fighters before, um, you know, whatever. Like I and and I don't I don't you know I'm not going to come out here and say that that like you know uh, the mujahideen were wrong or right, and our support of them was wrong or right. I mean, I can make all sorts of consequentialist arguments about it, like, what did that give us when Afghanistan blew up in our face after the Cold War stuff? I remember, even at my previous job at the American Interest, we had, like, you know, he didn't do it just with us, but we did have his big Brzezinski write an article, like, saying, uh, yeah, and I'd do it again. I'd support the the Muj uh, against mm-hmm. the Soviets because the context there, knowing everything, knowing nine eleven and everything else. Yes, I'd do it again. <clears throat> now, again, like so. So, what are the Mujahideen? What is that? Is that terrorism? Did they did they kill civilians with our support? Absolutely, they did. Was it terror? <sighs> sure, it's the Cold War. Like, and it's certainly not the only place we supported terror in the Cold War. Is that evil? Is that necessarily evil? I mean, I think there are, I think most cases in history are ambiguous and complex. Yeah. But ambiguity and complexity does not prove that there's no such thing as good and evil. I, um, again, and, and I, even, I, even the, the, the Israel Palestine situation is extremely complex. Yes. Um, and, but, you know, yesterday it was the, the leader of Hamas says, we will fight to the last child. I mean, that to me is evil. Uh, I, I don't need to appreciate the, the complexity of the situation to to think, wow, that a man claiming to to be able to be the Lord over the, the lives of children that, that's evil. Um, Demir, do you agree? What do you? What would your response be to that? Does that? My response would be it was the essay I wrote like weeks ago at the beginning of this about Hamas and sort of revolutionary revolutionary legitimacy. 
I mean, I get it. I totally get it. And and the it's you know to to the point of this is is uh, legitimacy in this sense just means that they are using violence mm -hmm. to gain power over the Palestinian Authority mm -hmm. to be the ones that sit at the table with Israel and the rest mm -hmm. of the Middle East to be the Correct. ones that negotiate the the peace process. Are, the, 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 you can, our you states. Can, Go on, sorry. That, that doesn't mean that they're stand. They're they're not getting legitimacy in terms of moral legitimacy. I don't know and, what and moral legitimacy most, is though. <laughs> most really people don't. that live in Gaza don't 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 believe that either. I mean, well, I don't. That I don't know either. Um, and 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 uh, you know, I'll just point out again is that that there's I can I can I'm trying to think. <laughs> okay, this is this is a statement that's that's like far too broad. But like outside of. The Czechs and the Slovaks. I don't know of any modern nations that were not like formed by just in obscene bloodshed. Really? Um, Again, that doesn't prove anything. That there's been violence. That the, the from the beginning of time, the kingdom of God has suffered violence, and the violent will bear it away. Santi, the, I just want to. I just want to. I just want to be clear. What I'm arguing. I'm not saying. There but isn't. you don't possibly, I'm not saying there isn't any you don't believe what you're saying because you're saying there's no such thing as the good anywhere not detectable anywhere in life what do you live for Demir why did you get up this morning what is the good <laughs> that are. you here we are now you're on Shadi's side this is this is the famous thing Shadi well, I was loves, trying loves to play this. it cool I was trying to play cool I wrote this article about being sophisticated and cognitive empathy and suspending your moral yeah. intuition so that you yeah. can do analysis but you're bringing it and I'm I have to bring it, it back right? no that's and Shadi fine, and I we both pray to the God of Abraham yes and uh, but that's that's what I'm pushing you on exactly that is is that uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that there isn't I'm not making a claim uh, a claim that there isn't I'm making the point that anyone claiming that there is should excavate that point. Um, and this is where I've always end up shoving Shadi back into the Abrahamic faith, as opposed to making claims broader than anything outside of the Abrahamic faith. That's my that's my one neat trick on this podcast. Honestly, it's it's always that, and now I'm doing it to you. So I mean, you know, maybe 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 it's a it's a it's a short conversation on that point. We, we'll go on another thing. But, but I, like, I think I think it's a good point. I think it's weird because on the one hand, I think the fact that. I do believe there is such thing as 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 the good, all right. Um, broadly speaking, um, makes me more um, willing to see the ambiguity in situations, and makes me more reluctant to say that one force in history is all good and the another force is all evil, right? So, in a unpack way, like that. that's interesting. Unpack that. I don't. I, how does why why is why is feeling certain about the good make you more open to ambiguity because i if 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 you sort of recognize that there is i don't want to get theological but you're dragging no me. you can you can so if oh, human beings actually if human beings really are you know fallen in some sort of sense right if we're, we're we've fallen into ignorance and uh um if our wills are corrupted as as the church uh, claims um which then church? history is human beings trying to figure out their way back to um, a goodwill and a consciousness of the good. Mm -hmm. And um, the way we do that is through God's help when he reveals himself to us, right? Mm -hmm. Which I believe happened one way and Shadi believes in a, in a slightly different way has happened. But both of us believe that this awareness of what counts as good and this sort of transformation of humanity towards a more humane or a more good species happens over time, um, happens um, through stops and starts, right? Um, there is moral progress, but it's very meandering and uh, takes a long time, right? Um, so I am willing to, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe in a sort of revolutionary vanguard of holy people that represent the good and that they're destroying evil. I, I sort of see it as a sort of leaven, the all of humanity is a sort of rising, um, maybe at different points, some parts are rising more than others, but um, the only force that's really transforming history is God. It's not going to be one political movement or another, or one empire or another, one it, ideology or another. And I does, think, in fact, if, if you're a hardcore Marxist, you, you're more likely to be a sort of Manichae in the sense that there is a revolutionary vanguard and then there's the bad guys. Right. And I just do not see it that way. Uh, but, you know, 
it's sublimated religion, especially Marxism. And, and I mean, and that's, that's what, again, is the point that I like pushing on then. And so the, your description there about, about uh, moral progress coming from God revealing himself, or at least acting in the world, um, maybe this, uh, this isn't the question I think I've asked Shadi, so I'd po- po- uh, point, posit it to both of you. Uh, is it important that um, the mass of humanity recognizes that God is acting in the world for progress to happen, or can the mass of humanity remain ignorant um, and increasingly secular and in believing in you know uh, just so stories, a secularized religion that actually don't amount to anything and stand on thin air? Can you have moral progress without recognition where the good comes from? This sort of transcendental definition of where the good comes from that both of you share. I think I think it's it's preferable for for people to just worship uh, a religion and be, be part of a religion and worship God than for for people to be completely invested in a, in a political ideology um, against false and, idols. Then uh, yeah, I'm against false idols. They're dangerous, right? Because if if your entire life project is swallowed up by by a political project, then the political political project becomes absolute. That assumes absolute uh, importance, then that can lead to bad things, and it can end up. You can end up justifying things for the sake of your cause because your cause is your only ultimate point of reference for meaning. But of course, of course, religious believers are capable of precisely that sort of thing, and they have been. So this, I, I'm, I'm broadly sympathetic to what you're saying, Santi, but I, I do want to just like put a wrinkle in the story that. Religion doesn't necessarily protect us from from that overreach because there are religious zealots who end up investing everything into causes on this in this world, and they think that they're doing. Obviously, we all know this. They think they're doing that in the name of God. So I, I so I just don't see like. Cl- Clear, why are why aren't more religious people immune to precisely what you're warning against? Because it seems obvious to me that if you make a political cause into something all enveloping, that you are claiming a false idol. You are putting human beings in the place of God because there has to be a leader of the revolutionary. Um, movement, whether we're talking about Hamas or some like far right Christian nationalist group or whatever it might be, God doesn't speak directly to us any longer. Um, so anyone who is claiming to be doing God's will is doing so as a human being who is flawed. And they are assuming that they have direct access to God's will, which is to me idolatry, and I think to you idolatry. Because you can't claim that. You can't usurp God's role and say that you speak on his behalf. But clearly a lot of religious people from our respective faiths do precisely that day in and day out. I, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's it's a sort of, it's a similar dynamic to making an ideology um, the ultimate meaning in your life is to turn your religion into something that you possess and, and a sort of ideology of its own. So you say, I am the vanguard of, of Christianity and um, I am personally responsible for implementing God's will on earth. I mean, in different ways, I think um, there's been fanatics that have thought in that way um, and have acted according to that understanding of Christianity. Um, and I do think that there's also just normal corruption, right? Um, when 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 I think of of the church broadly speaking as a as an idea as a theological idea, I think of it as a hospital, right? We're patients. Some people are in the hospital. Some people are not inside the hospital, but they're trying to get in. Maybe if you think that instead the church is a sort of um, you know fortress, a, a, a fortress, or, or, a, or a group of the pure against the impure, then I think you have the wrong idea because you're just as much of a patient as 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 anyone else. Um, and, is, and I do also think that, that what the revelation of God, what it gives you is just an awareness of the good that's born in history. That did, I mean, if you look empirically, the, the Roman empire did change. We don't have to go into that, but you can look at Peter Brown's work. But, um, 
but it is also true that the good acts outside of of uh, of the Catholic Church, obviously, I, th- I do think that the French Revolution had something righteous and just in it. Right? There was there was a kernel of truth there. Um, there there's a kernel of truth in you know. So what is that kernel of truth there? I mean, it gets back to what, it, what was going to be my follow up, but I think this is a better way to pursue it. My follow up would have been. Um, you know, Shadi and I go back and forth about uh, the truth of democracy and where the where you identify the 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 core good in it. I mean, let's just go back in the archives. Plenty of episodes on that. We don't need to go through that argument again. So, tell me, um, how do we how do we how do we identify that kernel of good in the French Revolution? What is it? I mean, so you're saying what is the, what is the criteria by which we can identify the good that was achieved by the French Revolution? Um, well, so basically you need some sort of criteria that's not historically contingent, right? Well, well, look at here, here's where I think Shadi and I end up on it. Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, Shadi correct and, and, and adjust if I do it injustice, but you know, it's, it's the conception that I think I would argue, uh, you know, it's, it's in the enlightenment, but I don't think, you know, the enlightenment uh, really stands on anything without that that like thick uh, set of Abrahamic faiths, if you will, underneath it is the dignity of the individual, um, and that therefore the individual has um, some kind of some kind of inherent value and dignity that must be preserved, and then you can build democracy on top of that. I think as the good, and maybe identify that being as the good kernel in uh, the French Revolution. And but I guess my whole argument is that ends up boiling down to that, like, you know, modern liberalism, which is the sort of D I would, you know, to really caricature it is kind of like a de godded version of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment folks still had a connection to to the faith tradition in a way we moderns no longer do. Um, the, the modern take on it and and the sort of like democracy good stuff doesn't really stand on its own without that faith tradition. Uh, I'd say that's maybe the best way you can make a case for the the, the French but Revolution. But I, I would as well. even go, I would even go um, more down to earth, like just just the base recognition of um, injustice. Just just um, when uh, you recognize that there's um, uh, unsustainable insist, unsustainable inequality when there is poverty, when there is um, decadence at the top. When there's just outrageous injustices happening, I think, you know, that human beings, no matter what they believe in, can recognize that. But and insofar as they act to defend... But I've always, I've always said this, you know, but like, so peasant revolts, you know, are correcting a, a local injustice, you know. But sometimes but it, they are, sometimes they're sometimes not. Sometimes they are, mobs. sometimes... Exactly, exactly that. And it ends up being a, a judgment call. And it has to be more than just... Like injustice, because even the concept of injustice begs a whole lot, uh, and you need to unpack it. You can't just invoke injustice and then be like, "Well, we see it. There it is, injustice, and therefore this is the good." It 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 can't work but, that simply. Demir, Demir do, you, do you think that you have a sort of built into your soul uh, a goodness detector? Maybe maybe not it's sure. not very accurate. I'm not sure. But th- there's a sort of, when you see something good and when you see something evil, when you see I'm something sure. noble, you sort of, something inside of you recognizes it. You're like, oh, that's sort of, it's not mathematical, but it's, it's a detector. It's like a compass, right? A compass can wobble. A compass isn't always good, but it generally tells you the right direction. Maybe. I think I, I think because, because uh, let me quote no, somebody that's let me not you on a this. believer you in God. Have... Like <clears throat> Chomsky, Chomsky. Yeah. Noam Chomsky, yeah. nobody's idea of a uh, religious zealot. Uh, when they ask him the question of moral relativism, and they say, well, you know, in one country they allow slavery, and another they don't, so I guess there's no such thing as morality. No, he says, look, if you look at history as a whole, humanity as a whole, there is really only a limited range of acceptable behaviors within most societies. Obviously, there's some egregious outliers and things like that but for the most part everyone agrees that murder is wrong for example so i think there is a sort of natural detection if you will of what is good for a human being and what but is not bad. on slavery for, not I mean, on for, slavery for, for, for the, exactly for most of human history um that was not actually acknowledged 
as an evil, and that's even understating it. I mean, correct. Whether it's um, slavery existed in our, in both of our respective traditions, and now people can argue that it was a different kind of slavery, and that the American variation of racial of racial plantation slavery was uniquely evil. But if we're talking about slavery conceptually of human beings owning other human beings, that was pretty mainstream among all major religious faiths until the modern period. And 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 like I mean, even the category of murder, I don't think, you know, without without a set of uh secular laws that determine uh when life can be taken without concepts that actually guide this it's it's actually it's not a simple idea because certain killings are sanctioned others aren't and there's there's a, a whole bunch of humans like structure based around it and how we end up judging these things um and there's and there's state sanctioned killing that happens all the time big debate over over the death penalty in this country rages on forever for some people, it's just like an obvious, an the, obvious. The death evil. penalty is not murder, though. Murder is the taking of an innocent life. Innocent is a innocent is a tough concept. Innocence is a really tough concept. Well, I mean, who do yeah? Who, I, I'm, that's really interesting. Who decides what? In, in, who decides the innocence of a life? Because abortion. I mean, there are many people who consider that murder precisely because they consider that an innocent life that was taken but if but also the death penalty um in it i mean there is something called like the innocence project which focuses precisely on this i mean there are wrongful convictions but there are also people who might have committed the crime that they're accused of but does that mean that they deserve to die that they're they deserve their life to be ended by the state like the, the innocence and guilt is not a clear-cut demarcation is it um i think there's a way that none of us are fully innocent because we've all done bad things but there is a fundamental innocence um that comes from merely being human i think look at all these these questions that you're bringing up murder slavery abortion at the heart of all of these questions is um the question of who who counts as a human being, right? So the way slavery was justified in the ancient world largely had to do with, you know, sort of xenophobia, like the barbarians could be enslaved, but the Greeks can't, or it had to do with um, sort of philosophical ideas that sort of justified um, enslaving some people according to the characteristics of their anatomy, right? Um, then the Enlightenment had its own reasons for doing that. Um, and in murder, you end up sort of telling yourself, well, this person deserves it for this or that reason. Um, you sort of dehumanize them in some way. So, yeah, there, there's these um, things that today we recognize as inhumane. But why do we recognize them as inhumane? Because we, we see that it was human beings that came out at the, at the, at the um, you know, they were the ones that were... I don't, know, I don't know how to put it, but they were the ones that were enslaved or killed, right? But once yeah. you sort of recognize mutual humanity, I think you have an intuition that you have certain obligations towards the other human being and that they have obligations toward you and that living together and recognizing each other's dignity is, is a good thing. For, you know. this, so, I, I get a little bit of this from Demir's professor, Fukuyama. But so so look, the, the, the only, the only, the only uh, to like, Take another contentious issue, but that's that's uh, you know maybe the stakes are a little lower than slavery uh, is immigration and and you know to your point about equal dignity like citizenship is to me one of the obviously most arbitrary <laughs> uh, constructs most human secular constructs that that you know I I I I don't think is evil and it fundamentally categorizes goes against this concept of uh of like the kind of obligations we have to other people as pure equals it it goes against citizenship goes against the very concept of a universal humanity now we we square that by saying well we can hold two things in our minds at once we still recognize individual universal human dignity uh but you know the exigencies of of wealth and how wealth is created within the boundaries of a state and who gets to participate in it and therefore reap the rewards of that state are, are one thing, 
But then, you know, there are perfectly fine universalist arguments that say, well, that's all nonsense, and we have to recognize universal human dignity. I, I, am, I, am, I certainly would not. It's, it's things like that that make me doubt the really strong moral case for one or the other. You know, again, it could be that, that you know, uh, the concept of the nation state is gone within 100 years for whatever reason. We have something more universal. And then you guys will say, well, that's moral progress for you. I'll say, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure. We, we already have universalism in the sense that we have laws that govern, uh, or norms, at least let's norms. say, that govern we don't refugee, have laws. refugees. Right? <laughs> there, there's a right to... Um, to find asylum in the in the nearest port right or something like that i mean um, right but of so course the precisely again, the, the reason why we're even but in europe and the united states the fact that these are merely norms merely norms done through uh you know international treaty they are observed really like i mean people go out of their way to find loopholes and have right. it like so not would, observe them. Would you rather not have the norms? Like that's not what, the point. What do you call No, it is the it is precisely the point, Demir. What do you call the trajectory that the world has taken from in one day not having norms that protect refugees, another day they do. Arbitrary. Right? I call it arbitrary. But why is it arbitrary? Because but, obviously you you're you're sort of going against your entire humanity when you say that. Right? Maybe. Because you know that it's not true that it's not true. Well, I mean, that's that's a different argument. But again, like, it's... Okay, it's, let me, let me on, try Shani. to let me try to do something here. Um, I, I want to push Demir on the moral compass question because I, I think that... I want to call bullshit on what you said earlier, Demir, that you're not sure if you have, like, any moral sensibility. I, I've seen you have a moral sensibility. I've seen you instinctually respond to certain things with a sense of like, this is wrong. You might not say this is wrong, but I see your gut reaction and there's something inside of you that is bristling. Yeah. You know, and, and what, where's that coming from? Are you denying that that's happened? I'm, I'm, I mean, I have seen it happen. I, with I, you. I, I, um, I would say that, 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 uh, you know, if, 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 I need to query a lot of those eruptions. Um, more often than not, and I mean, I've said this on the podcast, um, my circle of empathy is actually pretty narrow. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and uh, my, my sense of outrage is actually pretty tribal uh, as a result of it. And it's actually not grounded in, in, in universals, but it's actually grounded in my circle of empathy. I, I do think that's that's how I do approach a lot of this stuff. Sure, but that's still a kind of right and wrong. You you feel outrage and indignation at, at certain kinds of affronts. Yes, it's a narrow circle that you're concerned with, it's but very you're still different feeling something. I, it is I a think kind of more... I think it's just, it, I'm not sure that gets you a morality. I, get, I think that's what I'm, that's what my, my counter to you. I don't think that, I, that certainly doesn't get you a universal morality. And that's yeah, why you're I, saying that it's just a tribal instinct that makes you want to protect your own. And that's yeah, what you, kinda. that's what you feel. You don't really and, feel. And I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I do think that if I query myself on a lot of these things, it ends up like I, I will pretty quickly identify the arbitrariness for you um, and happily do so. But what about your friends bother? Like, so fine. Let's talk about your friends, when they're wronged, you are angered by that. But what about them being your friends makes you feel something tangible at their injustice, at the injustice being committed against them? There I is still a sense of justice and injustice, even if it's narrowly conceived. Even if my friends have done wrong, I think uh, I, I, would, I would probably stand by them and try to like defeat their enemies. I mean, I, I at the at the at the at the sort of base at the base level is is what it comes down to. Yeah, but there are limits to that, presumably. Presumably, that's it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus. 